morning. Uh, my name is Alberto, and um, for those who don't know me, I'm a uh, part of the, the teaching team uh, here at Everyday Church, uh, and I get the privilege and honor to share the word uh, with us this morning. And uh, I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, when I volunteered, you know, the teaching team, we come together, and we plan, and we prepare, and we think, and we pray about what we're going to share. And, and uh, <clears throat> when we were speaking about this uh, teaching series, uh, we're in a teaching series called The Walk, right? And, and, and the journey that we take as Christians, right? The process of, of what it means to, uh, one of the metaphors uh, for following Christ is just this journey. It's this walk, right? And uh, when we <clears throat> talked about this one, uh, the first thing that came to my mind and the first thing that I wanted to, uh, that as we brought the categories was, I, I just thought about my, my father, my dad. Um, and then my father passed away over uh, over the holidays, and it's been a really hard processing time for me. Uh, and so this uh, uh, this morning, I do want to share a little bit about uh, about him because it's it's connected, uh, I think, to him. So I make it a little weepy. Hopefully not. I've I've practiced. I've prepared myself emotionally and mentally. But if I do, just just extend a little bit of grace towards me um, <clears throat> because I I, I still. I still want to share this, right? Um, and uh, the, the, the reason I connected to my dad is that the talk today, the title is When Life Gets Boring. And, uh, and uh, I, I didn't like the word boring, so I was like, well, let's use the word mundane. But it still, it connected to me, uh, to my dad, uh, in a weird way. And this is going to be a positive, but it's going to sound weird, uh, is that my dad was the king of the mundane. Like, he reveled in routine, right? And uh, I think it was for, I think it was for a positive. And when I think about times with my dad, uh, one of the things that I uh, loved most about the, the forming, the, the formative years of my life was I got to ride with my dad a lot in cars. Um, so instead of the walk today, we're going to be the drive, right? And, uh, and uh, mostly because uh, in my family, my, both my parents worked at the same school that we went to. Uh, so my brother, my sister, and I, we all, and my parents, we all went to the same place in the morning. But typically, my, bro- my mom was very punctual and on time, and so my brother and my sister developed that. And my dad was typically more laid, uh, laid back and late, and I was a little bit more on his side. And so I, I would always go late to school, and I would ride with him. Uh, mostly, that's how that began. But then I enjoyed this time, right? And um, and uh, sitting in the car over life, like over many, many, many years, the things that I learned from him, the things that we experienced, the things that we grew, right? Because life is not just about these big moments, right? Life isn't just about these uh, these these life changing, like extreme moments, right? Um, the <clears throat> the births, uh, the deaths, right? The weddings. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, Marga and I moved into New York. That was a big moment in our life, a pivotal moment, right? Uh, soon, uh, she's, uh, s- tomorrow she'll be six months pregnant. Ow! <clears throat> and soon, our lives will be very, very different, right? Uh, and <laughs> John's over there like, yeah, yeah, you have no idea, right? <laughs> but those, those, those moments matter, right? Those are big moments, but also, um, life is not just about those big moments, but there's thousands of moments in between uh, those moments, right? And the question for us today is, uh, is, is do those ordinary moments matter? Do those, uh, those day-to-day routine things, uh, do they matter? Uh, what I do in that time, does it matter? How I spend that time, 
um, does that mundane part of life count in the same way, right? And, uh, <coughs> and uh, you know, in, in movies and in, and in, you know, in stories and stuff, like we, we all watch TV shows or, you know, movies and stuff. And, and in movies, right, they, they skip over a lot of the mundane stuff, right, a lot of the routine, right, because it doesn't necessarily move, drive the plot. Unless it does, it's important for the plot, right, and then they'll actually show it. But typically it's in, like, some kind of musical montage, right? Uh, you, you, you know, you, I, I love the Rocky movies, right? And every time I watch them, you know, I always get, like, real excited about exercising and, like, going out and fighting and, and boxing and all that fun stuff, right? But you know, in the in the in the movies, right? It's this it's this crazy montage, right? You're prep you're preparing for something big, like the big day, and then all of a sudden, you know, they'll spend like it could be a month, or it could be a week, or it could be an afternoon, or it can be years, and it'll pass by in seconds, right? Because they'll just give you the little tidbits, right? And then you got the you know the eye of the tiger playing on the background, and you're like, yeah, yeah. But if you really like spent the time with Rocky in the gym, you'd just be sitting there like watching him jump rope for an hour and a half and being like, oh my God, where's the life music in the background, you know? Um, but these, uh, these, these moments, these ordinary things, right? Um, and the reason I don't like the word boredom <coughs> is because I feel like, uh, I, I believe that boredom is connected to selfishness. Because it, in, in, it comes from this value uh, that assumes, or it has this idea that I need to be entertained, and that that I should be entertained, right? And uh, and so that's where I feel like boredom becomes a little dangerous for us, because it it, it assumes this this premise that I I need to be entertained in this moment, right? And and the danger of that, right, is I think in uh, in America especially. Because uh, I spend most of my time in America, I don't really know a lot of the other countries. But uh, in America, I think we have an unhealthy relationship to entertainment. And I realized that I have an un unhealthy relationship to entertainment. Once, uh, a couple years ago, a friend of mine, uh, we were talking about dear sister that I love and, and, and want to emulate in a lot of my life. She asked me, like, what the Lord was speaking to me. How, how was my devotional time that week? And I'm like, yeah, I didn't have really a, any time with the Lord this week. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I've just been really busy. And she's like, well, how much time did you uh, watch TV this week? I was like, Ugh! And so then I realized that that week I had, I had, it was a pretty busy week, but I still had time to watch the entire mini, uh, Ken Burns miniseries of the Civil War on Netflix, right? Which is really good if you, I mean, I just love, like, history pieces, right? So it's definitely watch it. But the, each episode is like an hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes. And I realized that I watched the entire thing over the course of that week, but I didn't spend any time with Jesus. And so I, I, I started taking note of how much time do I spend, like, you know, uh, on TV. And, and I started realizing, like, Monica and I, I'd put, you know, I get home, I put on my headphones, and I get on my iPad, and I literally walk around the house, like. And then I stopped, and at one point I, real, I looked at Monica, and Monica had her headphones on and her iPad on, and we're just like two ships crossing in the night, just like walking by each other on our iPads. And uh, like, you know, I was cooking food, I had my iPad, I went to take a shower, I put my iPad, you know, so it was just like this constant need for entertainment, and I was realizing like, oh, this is a problem. I have a problem, right? It's like when I, when I did a 21-day fix and like realized how addicted I was to sugar. Uh, it's this, it's, we, we don't realize how addicted we are to our phones, 
or to or to TV or, or videos online or or this need to be entertained constantly, right? And so this is my question for us is all of that time adds up because life is not made up of these big events, but there's those thousands of moments that collectively, I think, are part of the shaping of who we are. So think about it this way. I collect all, I collect all my change in a, in a, in a little coin uh, jar, right? And uh, every, when the, whenever the jar fills up, then I'll go and take it to Coinstar and, and get money and whatever. And, and sometimes it adds up to a lot of money. I bought a pair of cleats uh, to play soccer uh, a couple years ago, be, just using uh, just using the coins that I have, right? And sometimes you have big coins. You got some quarters in here, right? You know, but you have a lot of pennies in there also. And life adds up in that same way. All these moments, all these little moments and stuff, all of this adds up. Right? And so when we stop to look at the, and, and take evaluation of a year and how many thousands of moments were spent in a year, what were those moments spent on? What, what did you do in that time? How much of that time uh, was given to the Lord? How much was time was given to entertainment? How much time was given to family or to a loved one? How much time was spent on things for the future or how much on the past? How much was spent on laughing or reading or running or sitting? How much time was spent on making a meal? How much time was spent at work? How much time was spent in quiet contemplation? How much was spent in worry and sadness? How much was spent alone in silence and stillness? Those aren't bad things, silence and stillness. But we run from them like like. Like a friend with the with the flu, it's like yeah, don't you know, just don't touch me, man. You know, Addison, I love you, but you just stay over there for now, right? Addison doesn't have the flu. It's just, it's just a case. We're all very hypersensitive about the flu right now, so just a, just a case, right? Uh, but the routines and, and stuff they add up, right? And the and the things we do daily, it adds up, right? Um, now here's here's the other side of that coin, right? Is I think a part of this is going to be self-awareness. Like, how much of routine matters to you and is important to you? I'm a creature of habit. I love routine. I eat the same breakfast every day, all the time. All the time. Every day. Bebe, my mother loves this. She's always like, do you want me to make you breakfast? Pancakes, eggs? I'm like, no, no, no. I got this. I got oatmeal. And this is my favorite, favorite thing in the world to eat is just a big bowl of oatmeal. When I put like a million other things in it, right? But if I don't eat oatmeal for breakfast, I will want it for lunch. And if I don't have it for lunch, I will want it for dinner. And if I don't get it for dinner, I will just eat it at midnight just because I feel like I need to have it because I'm a creature of, of habit, right? And, and so just understand where you fit into the spectrum of, of habit and routine, right? Some routines is good. Um, but uh, also know kind of what is, uh, what is the limit. Uh, Henry uh, Lubac, I don't know if I pronounced that right, he was a French Jesuit and theologian of the 20th century. He said, the habit and routine have an unbelievable power to waste and destroy. It's pretty hardcore. Um, so here's my encouragement to us is, is, is know yourself. Like, understand how much routine is, is, is important for you, right? And, and maybe the uh, the workshop of the Enneagram might be a good I- idea, right? So to self-discovery, the more you know about yourself, the more you know about how you're worked and how you're wired. Like all of that matters, and that's really important. 
So the Bible doesn't really talk about boredom in, in a sense. I did a, a word study of like typed in boredom in, in like uh, BibleGateway.com. And, and I tried it in many different um, uh, translations. And it only, the word bored only comes up once in the entire Bible, right? And, uh, and that was in uh, 2 Kings 12, uh, verse 9. It says, then Jehoiada, great name for a kid, right? Uh, the priest bored a hole in the lid of a large chest. So I didn't feel like that one was going to be real, a real strong message for us this morning. Uh, other than maybe, never mind. Uh, so, uh, but the Bible does talk a lot about how to live your daily life uh, and what your daily life should look like. And, uh, and I think it's important to stop and take a look at that of that middle point, right? The excitement of the journey, right? At the beginning, we're going for a road trip, woo! And then you get in the car and you're tired of looking at street signs coming and going and you, and you get, you definitely be, you know, bored or tired or just like, okay, so you take a nap and then you wake up and you're still on the journey, right? That middle place, I think, I think, uh, I think the Lord, I think the Bible speaks greatly into what that time should look like also. So I want to give us uh, five uh, five simple verses I think that speak into uh, into that routine time and into that um, into that daily uh, the daily following of, of the Lord and and I love that our church is called every day because it's it, the the point is that we are a community that loves Jesus and loves each other and that strives to uh, to be in community not just on Sundays but in an everyday thing and that our faith would reflect not in just how we live on Sunday mornings but in how we work and 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 live every single day of our lives right and I think that's what's what's important right and so some of these I think reflect uh, a lot on <clears throat> on uh, things that I learned from my dad also and relationship that I had with him and so I'll use him as a couple examples so just bear with me today that I think most of my examples are going to be tied with my with my father. Um, so the first one is uh, is First Thessalonians uh, four, eleven and twelve, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right uh, in 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 the mundane and the routine. I think uh, the first thing I would say is be good at things, whatever those things are. Be good at them. First Thessalonians four uh, eleven through twelve says this, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Seems like an oxymoron, right? Because ambition is typically like this, this desire, this drive to, to advance your life in a way that like, you know, reaches to these, these high, you know, make a splash, become the boss, like move up in the world, right? And, uh, and here he's saying, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, maybe a good a word, uh, and work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Hey, isn't that interesting, this, 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 that your ambition should be to live a quiet life? I don't know if we, we talk about that very often, right? Because I think we're, we're in this pursuit of like bigger and better. And I think our culture really values the bigger and the better. And the bigger and the better is, is better and, and, and more and more and more. And, and I think the Lord is, is wanting us to pause for a minute here and, and, and just reflect on, 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 on that quiet life of working with your hands, of just getting and doing the work. 
And just being a part of that. And, and, and not just doing the work, but doing the work in a way that your daily life, how you carry yourself, would win, win the respect of, the, of outsiders. And he's really speaking about people outside of the community. It's people outside of, uh, of, the, of the faith, right? And one of my pet peeves are Christians who, who are not good at their job, <laughs> And, uh, and here's my thought is, if you're a Christian, you should be really, really good at whatever you do. Like, what, what you dedicate yourself to, you should strive to be good at it. Uh, because I've, because there's, there's, a, there's a, being excellent at what we do glorifies God. Being excellent in who we are and what we do brings honor to God. And there's something noble about being good at what you do. And, and I'm not saying that only certain jobs. I'm saying all jobs. If your job is to be a caregiver, if your job is, is raising your children, if your job is, you know, you're a welder or a waiter or you're a doctor or a lawyer or you work in the corporate world or you're unemployed, like whatever you're doing, be good at it. Wherever you're at, be good at it. If you're standing in a line, be good at standing in a line, you know? And, uh, and, and there are ways of doing that. Um, my dad loved standing in lines because he would talk to everybody. He was just a talker. He just loved that. But, I mean, I mean you, you know, Friday as I was on my way to, uh, to prepare for the, for the, you know, for what I was going to share this morning, and I stopped at the post office to pick up a package for Marga, and this should have taken, like, you know, 10 minutes or something. But there was a woman in front of me that couldn't, didn't speak any English, and so I spent literally an hour and 20 minutes helping her fill out the forms for a P.O. box and, like, getting her to her house had burned down, and she lost her address. And, like, it was this crazy moment, right? But, um, but like, you know, whatever you do, just be good at whatever it is uh, and earn the respect of outsiders. See, our, often we think that, like, in our society, it tells us that you, you, you know, strive for this ambition or whatever, right? But, but Jesus is saying, lead a quiet life. Just do the work. Focus on your work and be good at that, right? And earn the respect of outsiders. Jesus put it this way in Luke 16. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little with very little can will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? In another parable, Jesus talks about uh, f- the importance of faithfulness. He says it was the, the parable of talents, right? And uh, to some were given, uh, and, and talent it wasn't like uh, the ability to do something. A talent was like a, 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 an amount of money. He said to some were given... Um, you know, uh, 10 talents, which was the, a talent was the equivalent of a year's wages, right? So to some, we're given like $100,000. To another person, they were given uh, $50,000. And to another person, they were given, you know, $10,000. And then, and then the master went away and he, w- he came back and said, what, well, what did you do with what I gave you? Right? And to those who, who took what were they were given and invested in it, he comes back and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little. Come and enjoy your uh, the father's joy, right? And so, or your master's joy. And so, like, whatever you're doing, whether it's a big role or a small role, do it with all your heart. Which brings me to my second point, <coughs> which is Colossians 3.17, is that whatever you do, you should be doing it as unto the Lord. 
uh, and it says, Colossians 3.17 says this, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, verse 23, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for your human masters. Whatever your job is, do you pour your heart into it? Even if it's like you're typing in numbers on a spreadsheet, like there's, there's a place for that to be, uh, to be doing it with all of your heart as doing it unto the Lord. And whether you're a student, maybe you're preparing for a test, or your regents, you know, or, you know, whatever it would be. I'm looking at you, coach, right? Whatever you're doing, whatever you are, wherever you find yourself, do with all of your heart. Because your job isn't just about you, but you, it's not just your name on, the, on that, but it's also Christ's name. Because as followers of Christ, Colossians teaches us that we are hidden. It says, Colossians 3 says, you're dead, and your life is now hidden in Christ Jesus. And when he appears, you will appear. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And so everything that we do, it doesn't just bear my name. I'm not just writing my name on my reports, on my things, but I'm also writing the name of Christ on them. I'm representing him in everything that I do. And so in everything that I do, whether your job is uh, whatever it would be, do it with, as if you're doing it unto the Lord. And that should change the way we do things. Martin Luther um, uh, said this, uh, a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. If your job is shoveling manure, then do your best and shovel the manure for the glory of God. And if you do it well, you honor God just as much as the brain surgeon who saves someone's life. And one of the things that my dad taught me like, was there's, there's to do everything that I do, no matter what I do, to do it with all my heart because I'm doing it for the Lord. And I remember my dad loved... My dad, most of his job, he worked in maintenance or he worked, uh, he was a, a, ma- a manager for a bookstore for a long time, a Christian bookstore. But um, my dad and I would used to mow lawns together. And I remember we had this, he, he co- we had a company, company. It was me and him, his pickup truck, and a lawnmower, right? <laughs> that was our company. Um, and, uh, but we'd go out and mow lawns all the time. And I just learned so much with him in just sitting with him and watching the way that he would mow lawns. Because there was this joy in him and there was this pride in him that, that he was doing what he was doing because he was doing it for the Lord. And, uh, you know, whatever we're doing, understand the why behind it. Understand your reason behind it. Understand what motivates you, what drives you. And stop and take pause. Like your job, what drives you in your job? Is it the paycheck you get? Is, your, is it fulfilling a purpose or a calling? Does it bring you joy because of you're using your gifts and your abilities? Are you punching in just because it's you have to? I, I feel like there's a place here where the Lord is calling us, not necessarily to switch your jobs, right? Don't go out and quit on Monday. I had a conversation with a friend one time. I was like, you know, talking about, you know, serving the Lord. Over, and so he went out and quit the next day. And I'm like, that wasn't it. You know, like, ah, you know, but, um, but, but take stock in your job. Ask yourself, why do I do this? What is the motivation behind this? Am I doing this for myself or am I doing this for the Lord? 
And watch how that changes the routine, right? We'll spend, it's something like if, if you take all the time that you're spending in your job and you just kind of scrunch it all, you'll spend about 11 to 13 years of your life at your job. That's a long time. It's actually also interesting that we spent about 10 to 11 years uh, on uh, watching TV or on the internet. So, you know, you're just almost about as productive as we are recreational, right? But, but think about that. Like, what do, what do you do in your job? Stop and ask yourself, is, do I do this as unto the Lord? Am I turning these report as unto the Lord? Am I baking this as unto the Lord? Am I studying as unto the Lord? Am I taking care of my children as unto the Lord? Am I, you know, whatever your job would entail, Am I welding this as unto the Lord? Am I serving others as unto the Lord? And allow that to shift some of what's inside of you. Uh, number three is this. Put music in your heart. And this is easier for some people, I think, than others. Because there are some people who are more musically inclined than others. Uh, but, um, but even those who aren't musically inclined, I think Scripture would ask us to put a song um, in our heart. My dad didn't play an instrument. He never sang uh, in a choir. He didn't love, uh, he didn't ever sing in front of people. But he was always humming a song, a tune. There was always a song in his heart. And, and when he would do the dishes, he would, he would sit there. Well, the two or three times I saw him do dishes in his life, you know, he would, he would put on like a, music, a worship CD and just sit there and just... Uh, it literally take like four hours to do, you know, like some dishes. But he would just just sit there worshiping Jesus as he's washing these plates. There was a song in his heart, and he was always humming, and he was always singing. And I've kind of adopted that, uh, especially now that he, in these years that he's gotten sick. And uh, I always want to have a song in my heart, just singing to the Lord. But the word says this, right, Ephesians uh, 5.19, speaking to one another with psalms, with hymns, in songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. I wonder how much of that time that we spend watching TV or, uh, you know, instead of maybe, maybe trade out watching a, your show while you're showering or cooking and put on some, some worship music. You know, Netflix will wait and it'll keep your spot right where you're at, right? But, uh, but, but put on some worship music. I used to hate when they sang hymns at the church when I was young. I was like, oh, these hymns are so boring, right? But as I've gotten older, I've learned this deep appreciation for them, and now I long for them. I, and I sing them on my own, and I hum them to myself, right? But let there be a song in your heart. Something about worship, I think it, it changes us, and it, and it aligns our spirit back to what? To Jesus. And so... Maybe in a moment where you're mopping your floor or you're doing your mundane or you're doing the routine, sing a song. And if you dare, sing it out loud or sing it in your heart. But let that flow outside from in your heart, from in your love from Jesus. And you know what's crazy is how much singing can actually transform the space that you're in. There's a moment in Acts when the apostles have been captured. They were preaching about Jesus, and they were taken captive. And this isn't like they were arrested, you know, and sent to a nice cushy prison, right? This was like dark, dank 
prison in, you know, old, you know, 2,000 years ago. Like, this was bad. You, they were chained, you know, hand and foot and put in stocks. And in the darkness of this dungeon, deep in the, in the forts uh, of the town they lived in, the disciples started to sing and praise God. And in the midst of that gloom and the darkness of that moment, their spirits were awakened because there was a song in their heart to sing to the Lord. So I challenge you, stop and think about it. When you're doing your spreadsheets or, or you're doing something that's like really tedious, stop and sing. Sing or play music in that moment and see how that changes. Right? And where that springs from, right, is uh, number four is it has to come from a place of gratitude, and scripture says over and over again in multiple places, be grateful, you know, uh, let, you know, uh, well, let me read them, right? Ephesians uh, 5, 19 through 20, right? We, we, we read this earlier, right? Speaking to one another with psalms, and that doesn't mean that you have to sing to people, right? Like, that's not like just walking around like, hey, how are you doing today? No, sorry, anyways. <laughs> Right, but speak to one another in psalms, unless you want to. Like, Iceland, I'm not going to hold it against you if you want to sing to people, right? But speak to one another in psalms and hymns from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart. Let it come out, right, to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And uh, earlier we read Colossians 3.16. Right, but before, uh, sorry, we read verse 17, but verse 16 says this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How often do we stop and are we thankful? The other day I was on a train and there was a, uh, it was rush hour and I hate getting on the train at rush hour. You know, you're like, you know, it's just, it's the worst, right? But uh, I was feeling some kind of way and, and I, I, I step into the cart and there was a homeless man laying down and I was like, mm, okay, this is the moment, right? You know, you steal myself and like, I can do this, right? And, uh, and there were certain parts of the train that if you stood, it like was very, very smelly. And there was, but I found a place to be uh, upwind of him and I was literally standing right next to him. And, uh, and uh, but it was interesting because people would walk in and walk away. So I had like all this space to myself and it was like, oh, okay, this is kind of nice. You know, and everyone else was like so, so tight, right? I don't know why I'm saying this. But anyways, the point is, be grateful, right? In the midst of that subway ride, there are things to be grateful for. I'm thankful that this homeless person was there and that afforded me space, right? So people weren't crowding around me. I'm thankful for a, a train system that works most of the time. that gets me to my job. I'm thankful that I have a job that I can go to. I'm thankful that I have a home that I'm returning to. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that I could pay the fare for the, the subway. Right? Change your perspective. Because here's the reality is what you look for, you're going to find it. If you're looking for something to complain about, you're going to find it. 
because there's always something to complain about. But likewise, there's always something to be grateful for. Always. You arrive at the job that you hate, you know what? Be grateful you have a job. Be grateful it has a paycheck. Be grateful, you know, your, your boss drives you crazy. Be grateful that there's things that you can learn from her or from him. Be grateful that, that there is a, a, a space for you there. There's so many things that we can be grateful for. You know, and if nothing else, be grateful that you can breathe. My mother-in-law is not here because she has really, really strong asthma. The cold has been affecting her. Be grateful that you have hands to do things. You know, uh, uh, one of my cousins, his son was born without a hand. He's going to grow his, he's go his entire life with, without his right hand. Be grateful. There's so much that we can be thankful for. And I think that, that when, we sh- when we stop and realize as we're going through life, I dare you this week. I dare you today. I challenge us. Stop and be grateful for something. Today, stop and be grateful for something. In the midst of whenever there's a moment you want to complain, stop and think about what can I be grateful about this moment. And watch and see as that spurs on a song in your heart that'll come out and sing. And the last one is this. Um, Number five is uh, caring for others is the best way to combat selfishness. Right? Boredom, I think, stems out of this place of selfishness. And the Bible talks so much about how our lives should be lived focusing and caring for others. And so along the way, as the ride is getting tedious, instead of focusing on how do I, what do I need to do or or entertain me, how do I serve someone else? How can I care for somebody else in this space? How can I uh, look out for somebody else in this moment, in this space? Uh, 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. the mundane, the routine, how do you inject love for someone else in that moment? And, and, I, and I would encourage us, if we can stop in those moments with a, 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 a focus, a self-focus and reverse that focus to outward, that'll transform everything that we're doing and how we see how we can care about other people, how we can help other people, how we can love other people. Um, let me just give a little plug-in. If you're looking for ways to serve other people, volunteering is a huge way that you can do that. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're bored of, of the TV and the videos are not doing it for you, then find a place, a space, carve out some time that you can serve other humans. Um, a, a famed a psychiatrist, Carl Menninger, once was asked, what should you do if you feel a nervous breakdown coming on? And everyone expected him to say, see a psychiatrist. And, but he replied this, lock the door of your house, go across the railroad tracks, 
find someone in need, and do something to help that other person. There's so much that we can do, right? And so if you're looking for something, uh, you know, we have a mentoring program. You know, give, give up some time to be a mentor to a kid from this neighborhood through Pathways or, or volunteer in Young Life or, uh, or you know, put your uh, musical abilities to, uh, to work. You know, join the worship team or help set with the setup team or help with taking care of the children in our church or, or volunteer in some other way. But, but shift from that. If, you, if you're looking for some way to revive that routine, find a place where you can serve someone else, serving a meal to someone at the love kitchen down the street. Find a place where you can... Take the focus off of yourself and put it on, on the needs of someone else. Tutor someone uh, at the local school, you know. There's so many different ways that we can show kindness uh, with our lives. To wrap it up, um, whatever your uh, Ecclesiastes uh, 11, 10, verse 9 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. Do it with all your might. So whatever it is you're going to do, pour yourself into it. Be good at what you do so that people around you can see that there's something different about you. Because, and that, that different thing is, is that you're working not into yourself, not for a paycheck. You're working for the Lord. Let there be a song in your heart and let it bubble out and sing. And let that come from a place of gratitude as we serve those around us. One day, there's going to be a moment in your life. The second part of that Ecclesiastes verse is, uh, paraphrasing, is essentially you're going to die. <laughs> it's, it's pretty gloomy. You know, uh, King Solomon was the one who wrote most of the Proverbs and, and Ecclesiastes. The Proverbs are all like, if you do this, you know, God will bless you, right? And uh, Ecclesiastes is all meaningless. Life is all meaningless, right? It's at the end of his life, and he, was, he had a bad go of things, right? But anyways, uh, he says, whatever you f- your hand finds to do with all your might, right? Because where you're heading is you're going to die, and, I, and this is all going to be meaningless, right? Which is like hardcore. But the span of life has been something that I've been really considering over, uh, over the last few weeks, especially as I lost my father, and thinking about like the 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 collection of all that he did and all that he was. Uh, and I think about, think about our lives. Think about your life in this moment and the collection of all the things that you will, you will do. And in the end, my dad, my dad had dementia, and so it was a slow dimming of, of who he was. It was a very slow, uh, drawn-out process. But here's the thing that I will... Um, here's what I find so beautiful about my dad. My dad served other people all the days of his life. He always volunteered. He always wanted to help out in the church. And he served in many, many different ways. And then when, and one of the last things that he did was he was a greeter. And when he was no longer able to do that, because he couldn't, he couldn't remember things and he couldn't speak well, and at the end of the service, he would, he would go up and down the rows of the aisles and pick up all the trash and all the little communion cups. Because it was, there was this place in his heart that all he remembered to do was to serve. And, and he, you know, my dad always loved tithing, and he would always give. He was such a generous person. And towards the end, my mom would give him some money uh, so that he would have some money just to hold on to and just to do, you know, if he wanted to buy stuff with. And, um, 
he would hold it all week long and wait till he got to church on Sundays and he would just pour his whole wallet into the, into, into the offering plate because it was this place in his heart that he just remembered uh, giving. And after he was lost the sense of speech, he couldn't say my name. He couldn't respond to things, like questions that I asked him. But if I sat next to him and I pulled out his old hymnal and I would start to sing uh, an old hymn, he would start to sing with me. And songs that I didn't even know, he would correct me and he would sing them on melody. And it was because it was what had been in his heart for years. It had been what had been second nature for him for years. There was a song that was in his heart for years. He sang and made music. And so when his mind was dim and most of him was gone, what was left was this song. And in the end, even to the last time I saw him, when he couldn't recognize me or anything, whatever, we barely could move. If you got your face close enough to his, he'd kiss you. Because what was in his heart was love. And these things that became second nature to him, I wondered how much of that was his consciousness and how much of that was because the routines of his life had shaped in him this love for Jesus, this song that poured out of him and this affection for his family and his children. And so my encouragement to you is these moments, these boring moments, these routines, these mundane things, they matter because collectively they are shaping who we are. So take some intention to those moments and begin shaping those ordinary moments into the person that you want them to be into a reflection of Jesus in your heart, into a reflection of a song of gratitude in your spirit and your soul that can't be contained even from the bite of dementia and the dimness. And so that's my encouragement to us this morning. These moments matter. So take stock of them and put some intention back into your routine and your day in and day out and see what the Lord uh, does through that in the shaping of your life over years and years and years.